Well, welcome back, everybody, to Hoops HD. It is middle or almost the end of July here. Uh, complete off-season mode. Nine uh, more days. Nine more days, and they'll be August. I'm Chad no, Sherwood. Then it'll be hundred nine more days. Whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm your host Chad Sherwood. Two of our Hoops HD's regulars here: the uh, puppet David Griggs and Joby Fortson, and a very special guest joining us tonight here: uh, Ken Pomeroy, the owner and runner of probably the go-to metric metric out there for most people, the KenPom.com website, the KenPom ratings. Uh, Ken, first of all, thanks for joining us this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward to uh, the conversation. Uh, and yeah. again, just for to get going here, before before we get into any of the details and the, and the like here, uh, just for people that are not familiar with you or your website, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what it is and how you got, got going into it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it uh, started, I don't know, probably 20, 20 ish years ago. Um, you know, just as like the, the money ball era was kind of coming into vogue in baseball. Um, I was looking to do something along those lines for college basketball. And so I started at my website and started cranking out some stats and uh, eventually it evolved to uh, what it is today, which is, uh, you know, just kind of a nice handy reference for um power ratings for all the teams in college basketball and, and various stats for those teams and, and the players on those teams. And, and now it has like other wacky stuff, like officials ratings and uh, home court advantage ratings and things like that. Well, but it's, it's obviously more than that. Now it has become a go-to rate to the point that your, I mean, it, your ratings are on the NCAA team sheets in the selection committee room. And uh, I would, I kind of think from what I've understand some of the way the net rating was, was done for the NCAA looked at the way you were doing some of your, your ratings, although I don't know if they have any of your secret formulations or the like, but, uh, uh, but you know, I mean, it's become huge out there for the diehard college basketball people. Yeah. Yeah. The net ratings are, I don't think they, they use any of my code, but they are strikingly (laughs) similar to, uh, to my own ratings. Yeah. It might not be the same code, but I think it's the same sort of philosophy of the way the the net, I kind of try and explain, it's a hybrid between a predictive metrics and a merit ranking. So uh, yeah. but really all it decides is is how things get sorted on a page is as detailed as it is. <laughs> exactly. I think it, I think it definitely leans more towards the predictive side um, because obviously my ratings are, are completely predictive. There's no merit in my ratings, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is, I think generally designed to, uh, to be an organizing tool as opposed to, and certainly they're not, I mean, we know from experience, they're not going down the list from one to whatever and slotting at large teams and seating that way. They do look at the quality of the resume and the quality of the resume is based on, on the, you know, who you beat based on the net rating. Yeah. Have you had. Oh, so just real quick, like you mentioned the committee, has has anybody on the committee reached out to you about your ratings? I know they all look at them. Um, they, they actually do. I don't know. You, That's probably not surprising to you. Have any reached out to you to ask for commentary or insight on, on what it is they're looking at? No, I don't recall anybody doing that. Um, you know, occasionally I'll bump into somebody on the committee uh, during the season or, or whatever after the season and um, – you know, we'll uh, exchange thoughts and they may have some questions or whatever. Um, but yeah, I've never, I don't think I've heard from anybody like in the middle of the season, like, Hey, you know, why is this team ranked so low or whatever? Like, I, I don't, I don't seem to get questions like that. <laughs> Would you be able to even truly, I mean, to a degree answer it beyond, well, their defense efficiency is low or something like that, because obviously 
your formula, you, you know, is is created to find the most efficiencies offensively and defensively. It's not like it's readily readily explainable on a granular level. Team A versus Team B. Am I correct on that? Yeah, you're exactly you're exactly right. Yeah, whenever people, whenever I do any you know media or whatever, and people are like, "Why is this team ranked so low?" or whatever, it's like you know, there's there's no like deep explanation for that. I mean, my system is essentially adjusted scoring margin. Um, uh, you know, while accounting for the pace the teams play at. You know, it's basically a per possession scoring margin model. Um, so that's all it is. So it is kind of, you know, it 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 does make me chuckle when you know every year this will happen. There'll be you know a few teams that are people feel like are misrated or they don't really understand my system, so they don't understand why they're rated where they are. And people will be like, oh, you know, Ken Palm's broken this year. It used to be a really good system, but it's like way off this year. <laughs> I mean, it's the same system. Magic when their teams are lower, that's when it's broken. You do know. Yeah, yeah. It's like the system isn't any different than it was ten years ago. So you know, uh, there's no reason for it to be broken. There's always teams that people think are outliers, but yeah, it just comes down to scoring margin um, adjusted for pace and adjusted obviously for you know schedule strength and and stuff like that. But the point of your system really here is to say, hey, listen, this team is ranked higher in my system than than others than on paper on a neutral court, they should be the better team and should win more often than not. It's kind of predict yeah. what happens. Not you're not really looking at gee who did you beat in the past and, and does that mean yep. that you're a quality team? Am I correct yeah. on that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, especially early in the season that comes into play. Uh, you know, uh, some team will pull off a huge upset and they'll still be ranked, you know, fifty spots below the team they just beat. And it's like, well, you know, if they played again, who do you think would be favored? I'm not here to, I'm not, like I said in the beginning, it sounds terrible, but there's like no merit in my system. I'm trying to predict the future. And we know from history, like, you know, you just can't overreact to uh, one game, especially when it's a really unexpected result, you know, upsets happen. And I mean, if Robert Morris, uh, you know, played Purdue again, like Purdue would still be a hefty favorite, you know, it's like, that's just uh, kind of the way it goes. And on that, you know, with, the inputs you mentioned the scoring margin a lot of folks have uh said well you know it's now the scoring margin we should now be trying to run up the score quote unquote uh in order to be good in not necessarily your metric but how the net you know the net gets the focus on this particular way could you for the for those out there talk about the I think there's a, a little bit of a diminishing returns on it in your system. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So there, so there's a little bit of diminishing returns in my system. I mean, again, it's, you know, I, I look at, at history and try to calibrate my ratings based on that. And so you do find that like increasing scoring margin matters in a predictive sense. Um, teams that win by, by greater scoring margins do better going forward than teams that just kind of scrape by. Um, there, you know, the winning by, 10 versus winning by one is definitely like more meaningful than winning by 50 versus winning by 40. Right. So those extra points are not as meaningful, but they still, they still do matter. And it does make me uncomfortable that like teams play to the rating system. I do think it's like harder to do that than you think, because, um, you know, there's incentive for the losing team to also be playing hard. Like they should still be playing hard at the end as well. So, um, so I don't, I don't think it's as big a factor as people make it out to be, but yeah, it still bothers me that that's the case. And I, I wish I had a, a nice, easy fix for it. Um, I don't, but um, it's also kind of 
kind of interesting to me the net is like doesn't even have diminishing returns as far as i know like those extra points matter just as much the you know going from 48 to 50 at the end of the game matters just as much as if you go from two to four like so and you've noticed you've noticed that just through you know your own observation you think yeah i mean you know so, so as i mentioned earlier like our systems are really similar but when you look at like the differences uh it usually comes down to like um you know there's a uh, it's that scoring margin thing you look at the teams that have like just these outlier games where they win by 50 or whatever against a, an okay team or even against a not okay team. Um, usually they end up ranked higher um, in the, you know, for the rest of the season they do in my system. Like the, the, the most obvious example to me is the game. I don't know when it was 2019, 2018, when Utah beat Mississippi Valley state by like 94 or something early in the season. And Utah, uh, Utah, Utah beat Mississippi Valley state. Yeah. So Utah finished like, you know, 20 spots, you know, higher in the net than in my right. system at the end of the year. Cause my system was like, this result is absurd. You beat this team that you're way better than by a lot of points. Like who cares? Like that game got very little weighting in my system. And, um, and I assume the difference in our, our two ratings was almost solely that game. Yeah. Cause that, I'm, I'm sure the net wasn't saying Mississippi Valley state was a top 200 team. <laughs> no, and they were the worst team in college basketball. That was the whole thing. It's like, why? Like, yeah. why are you rewarding, you know, Utah for this? Yep. I mean, it's not even about rewarding. Like if it mattered, it's like, if it mattered, if that information was meaningful, then it, then it should be in there. But history would say that, you know, beating the worst team in college basketball by 94, whether you beat them by 94 or 34, doesn't really give us any additional information in terms of how good right. they are. Uh, can you might you might get a kick out of this. Uh, our website gives an award. We call it the Centenary Award, and named after Centenary, who has since transitioned down to D3, uh, to the worst college basketball team every year in D1, and mm -hmm. Mississippi Valley won it that year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a rough year for them. Yeah. Um, one what's... other question on the kind of the uh, composition of the formula. Um, do you have, and linear is the wrong word, but at least a consistent uh, formula where is there a flexion point in the formula when – a win becomes a loss. I, I, I say this like first, the only difference in a game is a one point win happened because you made a basket versus a one point loss because you missed that same shot on the final possession. Yeah. You know, is there, is there a flexion point? Is it like, well, one versus the one is similar ish, not identical, but similar ish to the one versus three. Yeah, you know, for instance, is the, is yeah. there a break point on the actual win exchange uh, loss exchange point? I just didn't know. Right, right, yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing in the system regarding wins and losses. So it really comes down to again just scoring margin. Now, the you know the way the system works, like the the close games do get the most weight, and so those points around zero do matter the most. Um, but there's not a huge difference between winning by one and losing by one versus you know winning by three and winning by one. Like those two points are very slightly more valuable in the case where it's, you know, determining the win and the loss, but it's not, it's not that big a deal. It's like, you know, it's, it's a minor factor, which, which bothers people. But again, there's like, I, I mean, I would love it if we, if we had like information to show that uh, from a predictive standpoint, winning those clutch games really matters uh, versus just the scoring margin. But, you know, when you look like the, I think the, the cleanest study I did was looking at conference play so, you know, looking at like the first half of conference play, looking at your scoring margin and looking at your winning percentage. And how does that predict how you do in the rest of conference play? Right. Because like score, like schedule strength then is kind of like really minimized in that case. Um, and when you do that, you find that scoring margin is much more important than winning percentage. Winning percentage is not completely unimportant. It does matter a very small amount, but so small to almost be something you can 
you know, ignore in a rating system. Yeah, I'll tell you, Ken, Ken, that one of the uh, one of the numbers I look looking at your website, and I get laughed at by some of these guys for like looking at it, is your luck rating that you have for for these teams, and and I kind of look at that as you as if I'm right here, that's kind of the difference between how you actually performed versus how you should have performed. Am I? Is that kind of what it is in in a way? Sort of like so people uh, do misinterpret that to mean like how you should have performed based on my ratings. And it actually has nothing to do with my ratings. Okay. It's just how you should have performed based on the scoring margin in your games. Uh, what your winning percentage should have been based on the scoring margin in your games. So if you're winning a bunch of games by, you know, one or two points and you, you know, you lost games by 36, like those losses should have been losses, right? Like there, you know, there's no luck in those losses, but those <laughs> wins, there's probably a little bit of luck. I mean, we're being honest, you know, I, Hey, I'm here for clutch performance and all that, but some, you know, in close games, there's all sorts of things outside of team's control. And so, um, so that's what luck is trying to do is just calculate, Hey, what should your winning percentage have been based on the scoring margin in your games? And then what was it? Is that an input into the formula and return? Is it just a reporting feature? Yeah, it's not involved. It's not in the formula at all. And, um, you know, frankly, I would have, like to um, have gotten rid of it if I could have. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll stop referencing it then. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, because it does, you know, it, it it it's never received well by by certain fan bases. It basically, you know, that it just it just identifies like which teams are probably overrated in the AP poll, right? Like, because uh, you know, teams uh, when you're voting for teams in the AP poll, you're voting for teams that are winning games, and so teams that win a lot of close games are going to be ranked way higher than the AP poll than they are in my system. And so that's what luck kind of identifies. Um, and I would get rid of it, but it's like, it's, you know, it does get a lot of attention and, and people do um, like looking at it or people like yeah. hating it or whatever. And so it's like, oh, all right, I'll just, it's been there for 20 years. I might as well just leave it. Yeah. I do think it's interesting to look at and it can help in my opinion, because I know you say that there's no merit in your rankings and, and I understand that, but when you're when you are trying to measure merit, your rankings are still useful because one of the things that I think the central question of the committee should be, and what I'm always asking myself and drilling into everybody else when we do the mock committee, is how hard was it to win the games that you won or to win the games that you played? And while your rankings don't measure that directly, they do indicate when you look at a body of work how hard it was for them to produce the record that they did. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I know that that's not what you're trying to measure, but I still think that when your your rankings can be useful in that term. I thought I had a question, but that was just a statement, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I, I will give now this is David's favorite question. If you ever have watched our podcast, which I would definitely encourage you to do, we all have our little favorite things on the nitty gritty sheet. Yeah, yeah. There, there are things that yeah, I'll be honest. My favorite thing is I want to see How'd you perform against other teams projected for the tournament? Yeah, that's just like an inherent thing I like. Uh, David's inherent thing, without a doubt, are road wins. That is the that is without a doubt. It's it's a it's a broken record. In yours, you mentioned the home court element. How could you walk through uh, for especially for David, who probably is very interested? What is the impact of that road? A home lost in and in that question also is different teams have different do different teams have different weights at home and loss given past performance right so um so I, so yeah there's there's this is a little confusing but i do so i do have a home court rating for every team based on 
again, research that I've done that basically shows if you want to predict future home court advantage, um, like the most important things are basically like calls that a team gets at home. Um, elevation matters, you know, pass scoring really? margin matters as well. But a lot of it is like the, just how many more fouls you get at home versus on the road. Um, how many calls you get basically. Um, so that is how I, I do the home court ratings. However, in my own system, it's going to sound weird, but I actually don't use that in my system. I use a constant straight home court advantage number, which is, which kind of leans towards like the, the power conferences, the power conferences tend to have more home court advantage. So the, the home court advantage I use, I believe it's three and a quarter right now, three and a quarter points, um, which is, you know, I think in the power conferences, it's roughly three and a half and like the lower conferences, it's like two and a half, something like that, two to two and a half. So it leans towards that. So that's just what goes into the system when I'm making predictions or when I'm accounting for like, you know, hey, did you play on the road? Did you play at home? Like we're going to adjust your uh, efficiencies based on that. It's going to be using that 3.25 figure. I haven't haven't converted the, the actual home court ratings over. It just feels like, again, a very my it result in very minor, minor change changes for and a uh, lot of work. <laughs> it's little, yeah, it's just a little simpler to explain. Just saying, hey, I just have this, you know, one flat value. And that that that's that's extremely interesting. It is interesting because three points is often what uh, folks in a particular desert town use. So it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a, the the uh, another element uh, another element in your uh, ratings that gets a lot of attention. Uh, and you've had, last time you were a guest, you did an excellent job explaining it. But for those who didn't see your prior visit, is a lot of attention gets uh, drawn to your preseason bias component. And you did an excellent job last time of explaining the, how it dissipates. Would you mind uh, kind of going through that again for those who might not have heard it? Right. So, you know, we just got to start with the premise that I'm, I only care about making predictions. And so on, on day one of the season, how are you going to make predictions uh, since we have no actual data from the season? Um, so I, I do need a, a, some sort of starting point and that's where the preseason ratings come into play. And um, you know, they look at basically the last five years of, of the team's performance uh, who's coming back. Um, you know, how important are those players, what transfers are coming in, what new recruits are coming in and based on kind of history uh, on how all those things matter, it creates a, a rating for the upcoming season. And uh, people do get frustrated by the fact that that rating stays in and has an impact, you know, deep into the season. In fact, it basically almost at this point, it goes almost all the way like to the end of February, um, depending on the team and how many teams, uh, how many games the team has played. Um, however, by the time you get to February, you know, the, the, the weight of those ratings is pretty small. It's just a, a very minor factor, um, but it is there to, just to give some additional stability. Net, What's that? Because the net, do you think the net from your experience, do you think they have a preseason rating as well? No, they do not. We know they do not. And uh, that's why, you know, when they release their ratings on whenever they do, second week of December, first week of December, whenever it is, uh, um, you know, they look a little weird early in the season. And uh, yeah. Do you have a theory as to why they don't do it from day one? Yeah, it would be kind of fun if they did it from day one. You know, yeah. you see all sorts of wild <laughs> swings from day to day. Um, the yeah, reason Wagner is beat San Diego State on just a yeah. random you know, Wagner's number one in the ratings. That'd be <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's like any April batting average or any early season metric uh is going to be completely scattershot. And and my theory, and and I won't confirm or deny whether or not anybody at the NCAA has verified this, they just don't want to deal with all of the knuckleheadedness of people who are like, hey, what the hell is wrong with these ratings? So they just wait. <laughs> But yeah. the committee gets them every day. They do from from the first Tuesday of the seasons or whatever. 
Right, right. I mean, <laughs> they still get some blowback when they're first released because there yeah. are still like a lot of outliers. But I think people yeah. understand that, you know, those outliers will eventually fall into place or, you know, I mean, what happens is usually is like, you know, they do tend to converge onto to my ratings, you know, as the yeah. on or any, you know, any decent power rating. Um, just because most decent power ratings are going to include some sort of uh, some sort of baseline to you know make um, more realistic ratings and more realistic predictions early in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, oh, go, go ahead, Joey. No, Chad, go ahead. Okay, yeah, yeah. Ken, I was just going to say here that um, while your ratings show you know predictively who who should be the better team or not, uh, do you find that changes with the NCAA tournament? Because I've done, I've done some research of this. I've seen a lot of data say that in terms of who's going to win the NCAA tournament offensive efficiency is is much more important than maybe even overall efficiency for a team and i'll back that up even with just this past season having read up on that i went to your website right before the NCAA tournament took a look at the top i believe eight teams on adjusted offense by your ratings going in said of those eight who's got the best defense because i got to throw a little defense in there and the answer was the yukon huskies and uh we kind of know what they did uh it kind of helped me with with uh, with my <laughs> predictions this year a lot <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, in the tournament, yeah, I will acknowledge like the tournament probably is a little bit different than the regular season in terms of what gets valued. I don't think it's like tremendously different, but but a little bit. And um, yeah, offense does tend to matter uh, a little bit more than defense. I mean, we should point out that like the team UConn played in the final was San Diego State, who uh, you know obviously uh, is known for its defense, and 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 that's how they got there. So sure. um, so defense still is is important, but the reason in nerdy terms, the reason that uh, offense is more important is that there's more like range in offensive ability than there is in defensive ability. Um, and so, you know, a team's upside is often like defined by how good its offense can be just because you can be the difference between the, the best offense in the country and like an average offense is greater than the difference between the best defense and an average defense. And you can see that too. When you look at like the best teams in the country versus the worst, you know, worst teams in the country, like the, the really bad teams, we don't have to mention any names, but, um, they're obviously bad at offense and defense, but some of them actually are like kind of okay at defense. Like they're not completely awful. Almost all of them are awful at offense, um, which I think makes sense too. Like offense just requires more skill. You can kind of fake, you can go out there and fake a good defense if you want. You know, you can not go for offensive rebounds and you can make sure you can take away transition from your opponent. Um, you can't really fake good offense. Like you, you got to be skilled at offense. And so that's um, that's kind of the reason that offense ends up mattering more. And we don't just mean play flat points scored either, because there's some awful teams that love to run up, run, that, that love to just run yeah. the ball and score like crazy. Those are not good teams, obviously. Right, yeah. of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of flavors of, of good offense in college basketball, and some are fast-paced and, and some are slow-paced. But, yeah, you can't really judge a team by its pace. Um, one thing that we hear often, we're in the preseason. So this I see it on every message board now that schedules are starting to be released. I see it on every message board, the discussion of how can we schedule to maximize our, and it's not not yours necessarily, but the net and others. What are some of, are there tricks that you see, and tricks is probably the wrong word, but are there strategies that can be employed, uh, that can be deployed, that can, over time, assuming things work out, you know, without craziness, you know, you don't go all of a sudden, you know, get, you know, you know, underperform greatly that would, that do help ratings, uh, you know, for, for uh, a particular team. 
Well, I mean, I'll just start by saying like, I, I dream of a day where the selection process actually is kind of, it does not require you to like game a schedule. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, on the one hand, like it's, it's nice to see teams play tougher teams and like prove that they're good against the best teams in the country. But there's obviously like a whole subset, whole ecosystem of teams in college basketball that really don't have access to those kind of games unless they want to, you know, play those games on the road. Um, and yeah. so, and you, you know, you talk to like whoever it is on the coaching staff that's doing scheduling, pick whatever coaching staff you, you come across over the course of a year. And like, you don't have to talk to them very long for them to complain about the scheduling process. Like it's a mess and they feel a lot of pressure to schedule certain teams. And um, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's a long winded way of saying that in my system and the net, as far as I know, certainly in my system, you know, the whole point of it is to like, for it's it accounts for schedule strength but it doesn't like scheduling certain teams doesn't give you an advantage you know if you schedule the best team in the country if you play them well you're gonna be rewarded if you schedule the worst team in the country if you you know beat them by a lot you'll be rewarded um you, you can also be penalized you play the worst team in the country and you beat them by a little you will be penalized even though you won the game um i think the only way you can really game the system potentially is to you know you could play a bunch of weak teams and try to run up the score on them and you might be able to game the system in some marginal way, I think that has like negative effects on preparing your team to be successful in conference yeah. play and or in the NCAA <laughs> tournament, you know, if you're not facing decent competition. Um, so there is that, but it's, I, I don't think there's any way to like really set up a schedule in any meaningful way to the game. Certainly my system. And I, I don't think really the net either. Uh, if you schedule one, well, nobody's really doing this for, I mean, once you hear what it is, you, you'll understand why. If you schedule like mid to low conference teams that win a lot of home games and, or anybody that wins a lot of home games and you go there and blow them out, your net will go up. But anyway, that's easier said than done. And it requires going on the road. And as you mentioned, a lot of the power conference teams, especially if they're, if they're playing in like the big coliseums and arenas, they'll be contracted to play 18 20 events a year there which almost makes it impossible for them to go on the road yeah i mean if you wonder why like colgate has played at syracuse for like 47 consecutive seasons yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know the one building is going to generate a lot more money than the other and yeah. uh, and um you know syracuse will will share some of that money with colgate uh appropriately yes. i guess but um yeah you know i mean that's just the way the economics of the game works and we have seen, and it's good. It's good to hear that because we have seen efforts. I mean, I'll call out the conferences because there's nothing wrong with it. You're trying to do the best for your conference. The Mountain West and the West Coast Conference, beyond Gonzaga, uh, have definitely taken an element that where the ratings in the net and Kimpom tend to not uh, not comport, so to speak, with you know that you know that traditional ranking system of and the seating yeah you know the seating often comes i mean saint mary's would have been a two seat in the net you know um and i think we all would say hey no but they were rewarded with a five rightfully so so it's july 20th and joby is still upset that nevada was selected (laughs) i'm more upset i'm the rockers guy here that got my team I had Nevada in my team. I remember that. <laughs> I didn't think it was the right call, but I had them in the right. I had them in the field. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I think the committee has like generally gotten better ranking or seating. You know, teams like Gonzaga or St. Mary's or 
whomever. I mean, Boise State is a, like a good example of a team that like schedules a lot of decent teams. Like their schedule is just loaded with like decent teams. Like they're not necessarily chasing power conference teams that uh, are going to look sexy, but they play a lot of like teams in the 50 to 125 range or whatever. And I think the that helped last year, you know, like the committee respects that. So that's like kind of an example of like, you're not, to the extent you want to schedule, like you don't want to schedule, to try to game the net. You want to schedule to try to game the committee. And right. <laughs> if you right. if you schedule a bunch of teams outside the top 300, like the committee's just not going to pay attention to that. Even if you're beating those teams by 50 points, like you, you have to put some, some quality wins on the resume. You have to put a lot of tier two in your, you know, and then, but then you've got to figure out, okay, who will be tier two, and you know, yeah. et cetera. It, you know, it's that it's that whole puzzle. You know, and you're exactly right. I've always found that the committee looks at what you've done, not necessarily your rating as much as the rating of your opponents and the quality of those opponents. You know, uh, typically. Yep, that's that's what they value. Yeah. And, and uh, one other question that I find fascinating, especially with someone like yourself, who you know, is math you know, is formulas, et cetera. We're seeing a greater societal uh, change right now that I think we're just seeing the very beginnings of an AI, an artificial intelligence. Uh, it's going to revolutionize healthcare and energy and you know, all that stuff. Do you see as a practitioner on the you know algorithm side, not AI necessarily, not AI to my knowledge, uh, but do you see... AI coming in with bringing even more data than you could possibly, you know, do on your own and coming up with predictive metrics uh, that could you be used as a tool by you uh, to refine, et cetera, not necessarily to replace, but to refine uh, what Kim Pop does. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the future of AI holds for, for my work, I think the main thing, certainly the early stages of it, it, it uh, affects like like model development more than anything. Like it just helps. It's like a instead of me having to like write a bunch of database queries to to or figure out how to structure database queries to do what I want. Like you know AI, I can just tell AI what to do and it'll speed up that process for me. I'm not sure that AI is going to offer like a lot of additional insight into predictive metrics or things like that. Um, for one thing, it only can work with the data that we have available, which in college basketball is, you know, not much. I mean, we got box score data and we got some play-by-play -play data and we've had that for a few years now. And, um, you know, it's not like we have uh, player tracking in, in every arena or things like that. Not that, that that might even help us, but um, there's only so much data available. So I think there, there are limits on what and how it will help. And also I'd point out, like, there's limits on how well we can predict. Like, there's just a certain inherent randomness in sports. And yeah. um, Fair, fairly Dickinson over Purdue may have been the most random. Yeah. Yeah, had what? your met like had your metrics predicted that you would, I it, is it safe to say that your metric would be very, very broken? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great point. You know, it's a great point. Like, there are certain, like, yeah, when people say, you know, hey, your you ranking couldn't have predicted that, like, um, yeah, absolutely right. And if you if your ranking did predict that, like it, it would be messed up. Like it would be, uh, you know, something that we we should probably throw out. And uh, thanks for thanks for bringing up Fairly Dickinson. I don't know why I called them Robert Morris earlier in the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Robert Morris for whatever. Like I said, Kentucky, they moved to the Horizon League now. <laughs> yeah, right. Robert Morris is in the Horizon League. And, yeah. 
And it's been 10 years since they beat Kentucky, so. Yeah, right. but they did. Uh, we all remember that one well. But, uh, yeah. uh, can I, I uh, you know, going forward, you know, in terms of the selection committee, do you feel they should be using your numbers? Do you think you, do you feel they should be using the net? Do you see they, they should just be, you know, picking teams at random, which they do sometimes, I think. But, uh, <laughs> or should, they, should we have an AI replace them? I mean, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, that's the, uh, the other problem with AI is that it's not, it wouldn't be very transparent. We kind of do want a transparent approach, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm on record as being, you know, we're like anti-selection committee. I think the committee should, we shouldn't have a group of people selecting teams and kind of, you know, just, uh, you know, basing selections on their opinions. Obviously, the selections are rooted in data, and that's great. I mean, we're, I think the, select, you know, the selection process is a lot better than it was, you know, when we were using the RPI. But I do think we should be using a system where we, you know, we have the, we know how hard it is for like a team on the bubble to beat a team of any ranking at any location. Um, and so, uh, you know, you can easily create a system that evaluates teams based on that, you know, um, uh, just a wins above bubble approach. Have you heard of that? Just basically, hey, how you know how many how hard is it to beat the tenth ranked team on the road? Okay, you did that. Now you get rewarded by this many um, points. To the system um, there, you know, there are a few details to work out in that, but it's totally doable and really should be the approach. I'm not aware of another sport, um, you know, where there's a selection committee to determine. I mean, obviously, there's different college sports that do this, but outside of U.S. college sports, are there selection committees? you know, out there that, you know, make decisions on a, on another basketball league in the world. I mean, I don't think so. Everybody has kind of an objective, objective system. As far as I know, there might be a, like an odd high school association out there that has a selection committee, but I think most of them have like these, these formulas that they use to kind of um, make schedule, uh, make schedule strength, you know, kind of put everybody on the same uh, plane based on their, their schedule strength. So um, I think, I really think that's what we should be working towards. And uh, it's, it's totally doable if the NCAA wants to do it, but, you know, not to put my conspiracy hat on. I feel vindicated because uh, I actually, as mentioned, that's, you know, my favorite metrics. I actually, the, the host uh, formula for this website actually tries its best on, and one of the key components is that element uh, for uh, on predicting not what the predictive rating of a team is but what they think the commit the actual committee will do and so it's we we have a metric that that predicts a committee i don't know how that works Uh, (laughs) i know i know you're not in love with kpi but the uh, yeah it was you know because that's the goal and that's not the goal of most metrics though there are a few on bracket matrix where it is it is it has been number one uh six the last seven years yeah one of the hurdles ken that we're gonna have to get over and it's just the nature of college athletics in general every sport in all three divisions except for fbs football which now well no even they use a committee uses a committee and while division three water polo and women's soccer and division one men's basketball are drastically different the concept is the same it's a committee they're trying to pick the half the field is conference champions roughly and the other half is at larges and they're trying to find the best ones that didn't win conference champions and the reason they're not going to change that is because it involves changing the way they've always done it and try and get them to ever do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah no question i mean uh, you know the ncaa is uh is a bureaucracy and there's a lot of like administrative uh inertia in the system (laughs) Um, which is why I was impressed actually that they got away that they got away from the RPI. Like, I mean, to me, oh, I was, you know, yeah. I, 
I know like the net has its flaws, the quad system has its flaws. I can we can criticize it day and night, and I'm I'm here for that. But the fact that they were able to move on from the RPI was actually um yeah. a, you know a pretty significant step for an organization where change is incredibly slow and they're very slow to react to, you know, kind of realities of, of <laughs> you know modern society. Yes. To react to reality and to acknowledge reality and to live in actual reality. Yeah, yeah exactly. Change the topic a little bit here. I might be stealing Griggs, one of your uh, your favorite topics here. Uh, uh, Ken, when it comes to teams scheduling non-Division One opponents, and unfortunately I've seen a lot of schedules being released topic. these days, and, and it's, you know, I think the one I just saw today was McNeese State, who scheduled four non-D1 opponents, including the Mississippi University for Women. You know, I mean, you know, it has a men's team. It it's men's the men's team now. from the Mississippi University of Women. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, do, do you if, do you factor that in at all? Do you completely ignore those games? I, what, what do you do with a game like that? Yeah, I mean, those games the are, result, are the way those ignored games, completely. Um, okay. Just as okay. Yeah, just as the NCAA does. Um, it's kind of bizarre, you know, most of those games are exhibitions for the non-D1 team. So I was like, why? Like, it always, like, it's yeah. amazing to me that that the stats from those games are, like, included in official NCAA stats. It's, uh, it's uh, absurd, usually. Like, the, the, the team, almost every uh, Division One program realizes that. Like, there's no reason to, you know, to play, like, the best team from D2. It's like, find the worst team you can find and play them. Uh, and, you know. Yeah, that's the spirit. That's the yeah, yeah. Give your, <laughs> All right. Give your, give your bench unit a chance to score, you know, 15, 20 points and pad their average or whatever and make your stats look good. The other thing that's hilarious is, like, we'll be, like, five games into the season and, like, you know, maybe McNeese State will be in a game on, like, CBS Sports Network or something, and they'll look at the averages and they'll be like, oh, but East State has the best scoring offense in the country. They're averaging 132 points a game. And it's like, yeah, you know, maybe look at who they played. Like, they played these non-D1s. Like, uh, I don't think it really <laughs> says much about how good McNeese – State's offense. But, but, but what about, and we probably get four or five a year, I think, when the team does lose those games. I mm, Yeah, that's about yeah, it. But, four or five. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, do, do, do you even take a look at that and say, and say, you know, hey, this team needs to be rated lower somehow because they can't even beat, uh, you know, Carver Bible College or whoever they're playing. Yeah. Good old Carver College. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. Carver. Our <laughs> favorite. We love Carver. No. Yeah. No longer. They no longer exist, right? I think they're out of. They, out they of exist. Place. They're on the non, like. Uh, the non-countable. Yeah. Yeah, the they're non-countable. non-countable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You're right, though. Like, yeah, I should. If I was, you know, doing my job, I should. I should penalize those teams, those four or five teams that do lose those games. Um, but ultimately, it's, you know, again, just just not worth it. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Not worth it. It, 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 the only time I say it worth it was Frank Hayes Tulsa team when it actually was within range of the NIT and the NCAA after having did, did, didn't they get an didn't they get an at large bid with a I think they did. loss? Yeah, I think yeah. I actually think they did. And and uh, you know, just if you have any uh, curiosity, I, I merely substitute them if there's 361 teams, I take them and uh, reduce. From three six, make them a new three sixty two for laziness purposes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. below on the raw ranking. Yeah, you know, so that that's at least how I've accomplished. It. 
I considered like running it. I guess it was you know the 2021 when Carver played. They played like 21 games against. Yeah, they, yeah, it was 20. Yeah. They almost played a, a full season that if they were D1, they would have been eligible for the postseason. We, we were yeah, playing 21. I think they needed we're, to be 27. Yeah, yeah, we wanted them to be postseason eligible. We were tracking their schedule that year on the website. Yeah. Even. That was fun. I, I considered making a page for them, like just including them in the ratings and seeing what would happen because I had all the player stats and stuff. It would have it was you know the stats were pretty atrocious. I didn't know if the players would. Appreciate that or, or not want to be identified. So I know we're full of that, but yeah. that an interesting case. God, yeah. Uh, we actually, yeah, we got really in the carver. We, we looked them up on Google Maps, and as best we can tell, there is a building and a shed, and that's yeah. the campus. Yeah, I've, I've done, I've gone through the same exercise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, we didn't expect this this conversation to be be, be all about Carver yeah. College, but uh, so uh, right. <laughs> take some turns. But but Joby, anything else? Uh... No, no, Ken. It's always an abs. Thank you for coming again. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Always great to chat hoops with you, and uh, hey. hopefully we can do this again in the future. Yeah, Ken, I don't know the answer to this. I never have. As a fan, who's your school? Who do you root for? Um, you know, I have degrees from Virginia Tech and Wyoming, and so um. Oh, okay. Yeah, those Someone are the teams I root for. They're not not necessarily prolific uh, prolific basketball schools, but um, they, but I'm, I'm loyal to them. So, yeah, so, so you don't like the, the fact that Joe, that Joby's there with his Virginia basketball <laughs> yeah. shirt right now. Yeah, that's, that um, guy. <laughs> a little bit a little bit of a problem there, but we'll let it. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, as as long as you take pace into it. <laughs> Count, we're, we're okay. Yeah. Just don't, just don't be a pacist. All right. So. <laughs> God, I, I, that's the funny thing, you know. For years, like I thought, you know, I was pretty flattering to Virginia basketball and their ratings, and kind of shown some light on that. And then, like the last year or two, I, you know, my ratings have been down on them a little bit, and down on the whole ACC. And I get this blowback from Virginia fans, and it's like, hey, what do you think I'm doing here, man? I spent like ten <laughs> years, my ratings are higher on Virginia than any other team. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, so I, I am not one of those fans. <laughs> Don't worry, Ken. Yeah. I very much appreciate everything you do. Yes, uh, Ken, th thanks again for joining us. And I do want to thank everyone for joining us for the podcast tonight. Uh, our very special guest, Ken Pomeroy. Make sure to go to kenpom.com. Subscribe to the site also. There's so much, so much information there on, on every single team. Uh, and for David Griggs and Joe Force as well, I'm Chad Sherwood. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you again real soon.